You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. Uh, a lot of times before we get into our word, time of the Word of God, we always have some time where we, uh, where we uh, celebrate some things and recognize some things. And so often you see uh, pictures of people on the screen. Uh, we're actually going to bring those people off the screen and do something live today. Kind of, uh, kind of uh, exciting. And so, uh, as you know, and you're going to, if you're, if you're kind of new to 360, this is going to be a great Sunday, I think, for you, or a great gathering because. The conversation today really gets to the core and the heartbeat of who we are and, and the why of that. And it's really it comes down to relationships, but really a specific kinds of relationship. And uh, with that in mind, we, uh, as many of you know, we uh, one to one discipleship is at the core of our, our, uh, our heart because we've seen so much life change and relational depth through that. And so uh, I want to uh, uh, share with you two very special people to our church and to, to me as well. Uh, in Second Timothy chapter 2, we are told to, Paul was telling Timothy to uh, invest in faithful men and women, uh, in this case, faithful men, and to, who will in turn teach others. And so there's really kind of four layers there, Paul to Timothy to the faithful to, to others. And so, uh, you know, our goal is to get to those generations where we're making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So I'm going to invite uh, uh, the guy that I discipled, uh, Dave Yon, up, and now the guy that he's discipling, Emerson uh, Robbins. So you guys come on up. We're just, I just want to chat with you. Yeah, man. Come on, have a seat. I guess these are our hot seats. You know, they're orange. And uh, so <laughs> so this is Dave Yon, Emerson uh, Robbins. And so uh, thanks for doing this uh, and for having some time. So we're going to start out by asking just to kind of check to see how much you guys have done. Like uh, we're going to recite the, the books of the Bible in order. And uh, Dave, we're going to start with you. So go ahead, bro. I'll help you as we go. <laughs> Let me turn to the table of contents unless that's the case we don't <laughs> So um, just kind of catch us up. Um, how long have you guys been journeying together in, in uh, one-to-one uh, discipleship? Uh, so we started, uh, I think, somewhere around the summer uh, last last year. Uh, we just finished uh, book one, the last chapter in it. So we're halfway through the, the journey, at least through uh, sm- uh, Small Circle. And we're getting ready to go into uh, book uh, two right now. So that's cool. And for both of you, how long, if you can off the top of your head, how long have you been in the church culture? I mean, has it been kind of all your life type thing or? Yes, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, since I can remember walking, I've been in a church worshiping mm-hmm. and yeah, well, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very reactive crowd. So yeah, very, yeah, it's a good reception. <laughs> Keep it up now. Um, it, but I don't know if you're going to ask it later, but it's one of those things that's so cool about small circle is if you grow up in the church, it can get very routine and you don't want to lose sort of your excitement for that relationship that you're building. So um, aside from how much I love 360, a uh, small circle has been really cool to get started. In. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. So, how about you? I know you've been a, a Christ follower for a long, long time. Long time. Yeah, I got uh, saved when I was seven years old. Wow. Uh, went through the ups and downs of my walk with Christ. And um, so 35 years I've been wow. walking with Christ. Yeah. So I think here's the key question for, for a lot of us, because you're, you're talking to people that 
um, both here and online, like, hey, what does this mean to be in discipleship and to have a one-to-one? It, it may be new for a lot of people because it was probably new for you guys. Is this a, would you say it's a different relationship that you guys are experiencing right now than let's say what you've experienced prior to this in the church culture? I think it's an opportunity to explore a relationship that um, not to single out men, but probably women too, that you just don't get an opportunity to have. Um, you have your friends, you have your work associates, you have your um, acquaintances, but then there's a lot of gaps where you don't get an opportunity to explore, okay, where am I in my relationship? It's not like we're badgering each other for where we are in the Bible. It's more so like, these are the things I don't get to talk about in my, in my normal week. Even on Sunday, if I see some of you and say, hi, it doesn't just jump deep into a conversation about uh, my walk with Christ. So it's kind of cool. Now we're in the same group together. We love our group. We're in a men's group on Saturday. Uh, we press iron in the gym together. I'm just yeah, kidding. Sorry. <laughs> we played volleyball yesterday, so. <laughs> but we were thinking about pressing iron. So, um, tell me about like, because we love the guys in our group and, and we have good relationships, close relationships. Would you say this when you're in a group, how, how would this be different? Um, well, so with Emerson and I, uh, we didn't know each other before we started Exchange. Uh, we met in the group, uh, and it was probably, I just had finished up with my previous disciple and was on the search, and God, I met him uh, on a Saturday morning, and I think you even mentioned, uh, as I was praying through to see who I was going to go uh, disciple next, uh, Emerson came up. And so we talked and within a couple of weeks, we were, uh, we were getting into it at that point. So it was, uh, um, the relationship, you know, we don't really have a comparison necessarily of how we were before, um, to how we are right in this moment, but I can definitely, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, our relationship now mm-hmm. and what I've learned about him. If that's, mm-hmm. you want to go down that road. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Emerson, I know a, a lot about him now. Uh, we're halfway through exchange. Uh, I know things uh, like just the obvious. He's athletic. That's obviously you can see that we're, as Steve said, we're in a, a men's group. Um, can't really relate to the athleticism except for uh, <laughs> I'm with you, man. Uh, pickleball. If you ask my oh, men's yeah. group, I bring it. This is the team to I bring be right it here. Pickleball. Yes. Uh, uh, what else? Um, he's uh, Emerson is a, a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. He works for his uh, family's uh, real estate agency that his grandfather started. Wow. He um, is the youngest of several brothers. Yeah. Um, Emerson uh, was not born here in the United States. And where he was born, I actually have a really, really strong connection that I didn't know about um, prior to engaging with him. And so um, I'm connected with that country. I have a friend, a very close friend of mine who runs a mission uh, down there. I sit on the board of Agape and we supply um, uh, missionaries with uh, goods down there as well. So um, that was a, a strong connection that we have. Um, I think uh, we've even talked potentially about going back to that country together one day, wow. which I think yeah. would be pretty amazing um, mm-hmm. if we can if we can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, we get into some some deep conversations. We talk about uh, dating. Uh, I know Emerson has very high standards for for the women, which is some. There you go. Hey, take it easy there. It's it's uh, unusual nowadays, but I'm I'm uh, extremely happy that, that he feels that way. Um, 
I know uh, I'm getting to know Emerson's heart. Um, mm-hmm. He has a soft heart mm-hmm. and he has a heart for Jesus, which is really rare um, for young, young people today. Yeah. And um, I know he's coachable. Um, I know uh, I know he comes prepared for mm-hmm. our meetings. Um, so he is engaged when we talk as well. Mm-hmm. Um and I know that uh, every time we get together, my respect and love for him just continues to increase. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Hey, let me close with this question. Yeah. Let's say someone is out there and they're thinking, you know, it's something I'm, I may consider, you know, stepping into a one-to-one relationship mm-hmm. and, and sitting at a table for two. And it may be a little bit scary for people uh, because they never have experienced it before in the church culture. Emerson, we'll start with you. What, what would you say to them? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, why would they? Why why would you invite them into to that table for two? I think that um, kind of going off of what David was saying, there's so many unexpected ways that you can relate to the person mm-hmm. and see just how Christ is kind of working in your lives. I don't particularly believe in coincidences, and the fact that uh, David, for example, has those ties to Haiti. And that he's so business focused, family oriented, but also has a strong heart. You start to find those relationships as you get in a small circle. And it's not something where it's it's just happenstance. I think that the structure of small circle gives you as many opportunities as possible to not only learn about somebody else, but also kind of become stronger in your faith as you see okay, this is a comfortable setting where I can be myself, but also learn about somebody else and learn about Christ. Awesome. Beautiful. What would you add to that? Well, uh, I got here a couple minutes early and I sat and uh, listened to the band kind of worshiping and, and warming up. And I heard Billy talk about the corporate worship, which is what we're in, in today. And um, the corporate worship here is amazing. We get to come here every Sunday and we uh, we get to praise our, our Savior. We get to raise our hands. We get to hear the word preached uh, as well. And then um, we gather with each other and we get to know the, like uh, some maybe some new acquaintances, some friends. You get to talk about maybe things like what they did that weekend or uh, vacations that they've been on. But it, it doesn't really it's not conducive to get much deeper than that, unfortunately. And if you're committed to a small group, then now you're in a little bit of a different environment. You have maybe eight to 10 or 12 people. Um, Most of the time you'll feel a little bit more comfortable about opening up some areas of your life in that, in that kind of setting. You may develop some relationships in there that you feel comfortable sharing those kind of things. But if you're like me, um, there's still parts of you that you don't want to expose. Mm And those are typically the the areas of your life that you need to talk about. Those are the things that you need the one-on-one setting that small circle kind of allows you to to get to that point. It's small circle was built um, to, to have a slow, um, deep relationship. So it's not something that's scary. Um, sitting up here in front of you guys is scary, but small <laughs> circles, not scary. Um, but, and it allows you to build that trust over time that you can get to those areas of your life that you need someone to be able to, um, to be able to pour back into. So it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Both of you guys, some of you may say, Hey, yeah. what's the next step? We're going to put a number on the screen. You can take your phones out and, uh, it's, you can text the word small circle, just one word to 97. 
27,000. And it's going to give you just some questions. Hey, I'm just interested in finding out a little bit more. Or afterwards in our back lobby, there will be a, a place where you can go and actually talk to a real person. But uh, I'm so proud of both of you and uh, just the, what God is going to do, how he's going to use you, how you're going to um, become a disciple maker and invest in others. It's just super, super critical. Uh, let's pray for these guys and then we'll get into our time of the word of God. Father, thank you so much for those that answer God to your assignment of making disciples and disciples who make disciples. So we thank you for Dave and for Emerson. Thank you for the journeys of their lives that are coming together, merging together, God, to advance your kingdom and advance your work in even a stronger way. We pray for them. We pray, God, for protection for them because we know that this they're, they're, they're on the, the battlefield. They're on the front line. And we know that is, a, that is a hot place to be. So pray that you'll guard their families, guard their relationships, and that, they're, that you'll even take them deeper on the second half of this journey. We thank you for their courage to come and share with us this morning and uh, to encourage us, God, to follow your assignment, the Great Commission as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Wow, that was almost. I would, there are times I feel like, hey, let's just go home. That was uh, that was that was a, such a, a great moment. So um, I we're going to return back to this conversation, and just in case you're coming in for the first time, or maybe you're in the second inning of this conversation, let's just kind of catch up. We started this about a month ago. The, these this series of conversations, and we're talking about the design that God has for us. And this design is so important to understand and, and to embrace why we've been made, how we've been made, so that we can live that out and fulfill that, that the intentions of our creator. If we don't know how an inventor actually made something or why that inventor made something, most likely we're not, gonna, we're not going to, to optimize what that person made. And so... Uh, we, we jumped into this conversation we talked about the importance of being alive, that God, it seems obvious that God made us to live. But then we look at both biologically and spiritually, that it's not just biologically to be alive, but God brought us alive in Christ. God brought us alive spiritual, that we were separated. The Bible says that we were dead. In other words, there was a gap between us and God, and God ignited that where we became uh, alive with Christ. We talked about uh, we need to grow. Once things begin to, to come alive, they, then they begin to grow. Last week, we looked at the importance of being umbilically dependent upon God. Today, we get to the crowning moment of creation. And that crowning moment was in that, that final sixth day because God rested on the seventh, that sixth day where he makes the first human being. And in this making of the human being, we see so many layers of what God's intentions are for us. It doesn't take much of a reading beyond that first page to begin to understand the very core, one of the primary responsibilities that we have as as Christ followers, as those who know God and are carrying forth his work. And so we begin this morning by looking at Genesis chapter one and verse 26. If you have your Bible, you want to take a look or else we'll have the uh, we'll have the scripture verse on the screen. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we see a very profound and mysterious statement. Then God said, let us make man in our image. 
Now, if you didn't know anything uh, about the Bible, you're just coming into it for the first time, that sounds plural because it is plural. And yet at the same time, it's singular. That is one of the mysteries of who God is. If you were to put it in uh, grammar, it would be gram bad grammar. It would be they is. And, uh, and that, that's how we would describe God. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity. That word actually is not found in the Bible, but it's how we have described it across the years. But in there, we look at their, not only our responsibility, but the makeup of who we are. We, like, uh, uh, and unlike any other living creature, we are made in the image of God. This was not said about squirrels. It was not said about, you know, uh, uh, kangaroos. It wasn't said about any other living creature except human beings. When we look at, the, at that, that moment, what we find is that we have a unique calling on our life. What do I mean by that? Well, we're told in the Bible that even the stars and the universe and, and nature around us have a responsibility. For example, in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In other words, if you, you stand on the shore of the ocean here in Siesta Key, or you stand in the mountains of Colorado, you see the majesty, you see the, and the ingenuity. If you're deeper into science and you see molecules and atoms and uh, oxygen and nitrogen and, and uh, that exhausts my scientific knowledge. And that, that's, uh, but if you get, if you, it, it just becomes like, wow, the, the, the work of God's hands point to a genius. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, for since the creation of the worlds, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. How? By being understood from what has been made. So we're seeing the faithfulness of God every time you see the sun come up. It's pointing to one of the qualities of a God that just didn't say, well, I hope this goes well, but he puts these things into action. What we do not see in creation, in the, in the universe, in stars and molecules and nitrogen and oxygen, all these things, there is one thing that they cannot do that is distinctive to us as human beings. Therefore, the responsibility of this one thing goes sky high. And here it is. We have the distinctive capacity and the distinctive responsibility to be the relational image bearers of God. We have been created in the our image. That's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have been the ones who have been assigned to show what the relational side of God is because a mountain cannot do that. A sunset cannot do it. It can, it can point to the, to the massive brilliance of God and the ingenuity of God. But those sunset that cannot that those things of creation cannot say, "Wow, look how relational God is." That's why He is He has assigned that to us. So at the end of the sixth day, we have this beautiful creation. It's all working in order, and then man is created, and it just seemed perfect, doesn't it? I mean, when you look at it at the end of every day, God said, "Wow, that is good. That is that is magnificent." What we sometimes often overlook, because some people, you know, kind of get bent out of shape that creation happened in six days. 
And I always say, I'm surprised that it's hard for me to believe that it happened in six days, too. I I always say I'm surprised it took God that long to do. Uh, But because I think God was mapping it out. We look in the book of Job. We look in the book of Psalms. There are places that indicate that God was measuring. And so just because he said, let there be light, it wasn't the first time he thought about it. He really engineered this whole thing. You come to the end of the sixth day and it just seems perfect. And and yet there's something missing. And I think, what if, for example, we were in charge of creating this whole thing, that we were engineering it? it it'd probably be a mess. And I saw the, a few things on the Internet, just a few pictures. And I'm like, yeah, this is how it would go if we were in charge of creating. So here, let's start at the, the, at the elevator. You got the fourth floor. And then you got the third, what's that? The threeth floor, the third floor, the tooth floor. That's where the dentist is located. Uh, sorry. Uh, the one's floor. Yeah, th- that would be like how we would design an elevator. Here's another one. Uh, that says the uh, pull. Uh, <coughs> you get it. Uh, here's the next one. Hey, how about some stairs at the end of a wheelchair ramp? <laughs> Now, that's going to be a great wet bar. That's going to pick the party right up. You know what I'm saying? And finally, those just seem a shade high to me. Uh, I don't know. Just just a little too high. Thank God we're not in charge of creation, right? So what happens, I was actually just going back and reviewing, you won't see this on the screen, but what happens is that everything was good, and if you know this first page of the Bible, there's nothing new about what I'm about to say, that there was just one thing that wasn't good, it wasn't good that, that Adam was alone. If he were created in this relational image, there has to be an object to love, Without an object to love, you have no relationship. And so God came along and said, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. The first non-good thing in all of creation was aloneness. The first thing that that had a flaw in it was this relational thing, the very reason that God had created us to be. And he said, I'll make a a helper suitable for him. Now God had also formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would name them. Whatever Adam called each creature, that was its name. What an incredible assignment. And I'm always, you know, I've thought about this uh, over the years, and it seems like he must have gotten tired. We don't know how long it took him to name all of the animals. Just think about all of the animals. And so I don't know if it took him two weeks, two months, two years, but it had to take a a while. And it just seems like you kind of wonder now I'm kind of off script here for a minute, but you do wonder that if he started with like the fun, the fun names like orangutan, you know, he was like really excited. Flamingo, hippopotamus. But then you kind of wonder you know as he got tired or uh you know that he just started you know like now we're down to two syllables and they're rhyming you know like monkey uh donkey you know now they're rhyming and then you can kind of tell maybe after he got tired he you know he got down to the one syllable like bat cat gnat rat scrat no that's a cartoon character 
And then maybe like, you know, he just started calling them by their function, you know, like fly. You know, he's out, man, at that point. Who knows? Here's what we do now. We do know that no suitable helper was found anywhere in this massive creation that God had made. And yet we search, and the way that becomes super relatable to us is that the world around us continues to promise the thing to us that we need, but there's always the artificial version of it. There's the Facebook, the Photoshop version of it. And that's why so many of us begin to, re- to, to continue to search until we find what we heard from David and, and Emerson this morning. Years in the church culture. And for the first time, they have something, someone to talk about the things that typically can't be talked about. It's the very core of what we all crave. In fact, when you look at the Bible, the relationships are so critical to every part of it. Even when you're reading the Old Testament, the rules and the regulations can seem dry when you're coming through Numbers and Leviticus. But when you look at even the rules and regulations, they're relational. I break your fence, I mend your fence. I kill your cow, replace your cow. In other words, even those rules were relational. And then we come to Jesus and he's asked, hey, what are the, of all the Old Testament, what are the, what's the greatest thing? And he says, well, it's actually two, and it's all about relationships. Love God, have a relationship, a loving relationship with God, and have a deep, rela- loving relationship with other people. There it is. It goes all the way back to the first page of the Bible. And then Jesus sits at the, at, the, at the Last Supper, as we call it, and with his disciples, he says, let me give you a new command. It's in John chapter 13. A new command I give to you, to be relational, to love one another. This is our purpose in life. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now watch. Here comes the reason why God has made us relational more than any other creature. By this, by what? By the deep, loving relationship you have with each other, by this, all men will know this is the real deal. They'll know it's authentic. They will know that you are actually my followers, my disciples, that you, that you have, have uh, been morphed out of a relationship with God if you love one another. Now we see that it's not just relationships, just for relationships. It's relationships are for a design to send a message to the world. It's not just important that we're friendly just because it's a good thing to be friendly. What we're trying to say to the world is we're different. We forgive differently because we have been deeply forgiven. We have more forbearance, more patience with others because we understand that every single morning we wake up and God has new mercies and he's been patient with us. We are the recipients of grace, so we offer grace. And the world should look at that and say, wow, you guys are a bit different but I think it goes deeper we must ask then what kind of relationship do we have in other words when you look at this our image in which we were created were the father son and holy spirit just friends were they just friendly were they just uh, good acquaintances of course not there was an intimacy there occasionally Not very often, but occasionally we see 
what this image is like it surfaces so i'm in other parts of the world and other parts of the even the country i have to explain what a manatee is it's it's surprising that people don't know what a manatee is and if you're not from these parts a manatee is this kind of blobby large thing that looks prehistoric that that you know when occasionally it surfaces out of the water oh there's a manatee right we all get excited there's a manatee and then it just kind of comes up that this image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit occasionally comes up and we're like, wow, that's what it's like. Let me give you an example. In John chapter 1 and, and verse 18, John uses a phrase that he uses also in his letter, in one of the letters that he wrote. He says, no one has seen God at any time. Let me remind you that we are image bearers to the world. So John is hitting right in the target. He says, no, no one has seen God at any time except the only begotten God, speaking of Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father. This is the our relationship in which we've been created. Not just acquaintances, not just friends, not, not just a good buddies. That's not the relationship that we just heard about from Dave and Emerson. It goes deeper than that because that's what we have, we crave this. When, when neuroscientists study our brains, it's fascinating. And when they study the neurons that are located in the prefrontal cortex, they compare us to other living creatures. The more neurons in the prefrontal cortex, the more relational a, crea a, cre a creature is. So, for example, dolphins and whales, they have a higher number of these neurons in the prefrontal cortex. It's fascinating. And when you look at those species, they tribe together. There's always together. When you, we see dolphins all the time out you know, in the ocean. It's rare that you ever see one alone. They're together just because of the way that God created. Well, guess who of all living creatures has more neurons in our prefrontal cortex? We do. We're at the top of the list. But then there's a measurement. It's called encephalization, a measurement how big the brain is compared to the rest of the body because the whale has a pretty big brain, but the body's huge. Human beings are way, way, way up here next to the next relational creature down. Now, I know you didn't come to be in science class, but here's what I'm saying. The word of God affirms science. Science doesn't have to prove the word of God. So in this creation story, when God says, let us make man in our relational, intimate Jesus in the bosom of the father image, then science comes along and says, wow, that's true. That's actually the real deal that above all creatures, we are way above all others in the capacity to have deeper relationships. There's a sociologist, his name is Robin Dunbar. Um, his books are heavy, uh, not too fun to read. I know sometimes every time I mention a book, somebody runs out and gets it. I'm not saying that you, this would not be fun fireside reading. It's heavy reading, it's scientific reading. He's a dyed in the world evolutionist, so you have to eat the fish, spit out the bones. Uh, but his, his research is incredible. Here's what he finds. He, one of his books is, How Many Friends Does a Person Need? And so he, he has these, uh, his findings are that we can recognize 1,500 people. That's, a, that's about our capacity. Think about it. There's no way you can remember the names of three 
million people or 300,000 people, we can recognize by name 1,500 people. We can have 500 acquaintances. We can have 150 casual relationships, 50 friends, 15 closer friends, but this is the number that fascinates me. It's the number five. Including your spouse, you can have no more than five relationships like we just heard up here this morning. There's a limit. That's why people say, hey, who's your best friend? Now you think about your own life. You think, hey, you know, there, I, I really, I don't know, I'm not sure I have a best friend. You wouldn't be alone. Because when you look at many of the statistics in our, in, in our culture, this is why this conversation is important. We sometimes think that we should be relational just to have a healthy church. That's true, but it's incomplete. What God is saying is I've put you on the planet that you have a more distinct responsibility than the stars, the moon, the, the, the mountains, the ocean, the fish, the animals. I've, I've given you a distinctive responsibility that you alone must show that we have an intimate God, that we have a not just a friendly God, but an intimate God who wants a deeper and intimate relationship. If we don't show the world as the relational bearers of Christ, who's going to show the world what God is really like? People are not going to know that just because we have some nifty facts about God. Just because we can quote, for God so loved the world, they need to see this kind of relationship. They need to see the kind of relationship so that they know that it can actually, actually happen. So let me, let me share something with you that I, I share in the trainings I do around the world. And I want to put an image on the board and, and uh, two people there and, and explain the word dyad. Dyad is just simply one unique relationship between each other. So in two people, you have if we go to the next slide, one unique relationship or one dyad. That's, 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 that's it, right? You don't have more than one. If you have three people, you have, you have uh, three possible unique relationships. Now, before we put the next slide up, if I add a fourth person, who can figure out how many unique relationships are possible with four people? I'm all ears. Six. Wow. Excellent. Why would it be six? Well, watch the diagram. You have that cross thing going there. But here's the formula that we've been in science class. We might as well go to math class. Here's the formula. N times N minus one over two. In this case, four, four times one over two, which is four times three over two, which is 12 over two, which is six. That's how you get to that number. All right. So what fascinated me then is let's take this next one. Now, who is that in the middle? Nope, John Lennon. Good guess. That's no, good. I'm just playing. That's Jesus with his 12 disciples. So I thought, how many unique relationships do we have? Because this is the size of a typical group. And by the way, we love groups. I love my men's group. I mean, we have just a great time. But I want to say that there is an expectation that we can't place relationally on a group, just like these two guys said this morning. We love our group, but we're, there, it can only go so far in a relationship. I like I have a bunch of screwdrivers at home, but I'm not going to try to flip a pancake with a screwdriver. I've tried. It doesn't work. You know, the little silver dollar thing. But you, you can't do it. There's nothing wrong with a screwdriver, but there's just a different expectation. How many unique relationships then 
Some people may think, well, it looks like this. That, well, there, there are 12. Nope, that's just from Jesus. Well, here's the formula. If we go to the next slide, n times n over 1, blah, 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 13, minus 12, blah, blah, 78 possible unique relationships in a group of 13. Now, let's get intimate, shall we? Yes. <laughs> we have bypassed the, the five that humanly is possible. We have gone past the 15. We've gone past the 50. Does that mean groups are bad? No, but we just have to come to terms with that they are, they are limited in the relational depth that we can go no matter how long you've been in it, no how, how long, how, how hard you're trying. Here's what this looks like, by the way. Good luck with that. That's pretty cool. That's what the... <laughs> So here's the expectations. Watch, watch, and I'm going to put up our logo because it represents our three circles. From a relational point of view, just like Emerson said, relationships on Sunday morning can be typically casual. When you get to a group, they can become close. But here's the key. When we get to a table for two, they can be confidential. They can be confidential. Now, let me, let me say something really relevant to every single one of us. Every human being on this planet has been created to have this kind of relationship. We have been created in this intimate, our relationship. Now, some of us are afraid of it because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam sinned, and the first thing he did was hide. And men are particularly are master hiders. We are master hiders. This is why Facebook is so popular. Facebook just ties right into our pride. And the, and the, and the definition of pride is that it, it promotes our best side and protects our worst side. One of these days, I would just love to see, maybe somebody in this room will be the first one, uh, a, a picture of you and your spouse and say, hey, we're having the absolute worst argument that we've ever had in our lives. And we just wanted to capture that for Facebook. <laughs> Rather than the perfect picture of your cat or the perfect picture of your perfectly made uh, meatloaf and all that stuff. We don't let those things out. OK, here we go. Let's tie it together. What was broken in the Garden of Eden was restored in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane for the restoration of what was demolished in the Garden of Eden. What was demolished in the Garden of Eden was relationships. Adam hid from God. Adam blamed God and blamed his, and his wife. There wasn't anybody else left to blame. Couldn't blame the, you know, the raccoons. He blamed everybody, and everybody at that point was separated. There was no longer any confidence, trust, transparency. In John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, Jesus begins to pray for us, for generations. He says, I'm not praying for them alone, speaking of the 11 disciples who were remaining. He said, I also pray for those who will believe in their message and in, in me through their message. He's praying for the future. And he says that all of them may be one. 
Often this is translated, interpreted as like, hey, let's just get friendly, shall we? Let's just make sure that, you know, we can do a service project with a church down the street. And then we'll all say, man, we are fulfilling that prayer. We're, we're one and nobody's, you know, casting stones or pointing fingers at each other. But Jesus goes on deeper. Watch. He says that John and John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me and through their message that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. There's John 118 that the Jesus that Jesus is in the bosom of the father. He's praying that they will that we will experience the intimacy that we were created to have experience with somebody and I would even go so far as somebody other than your spouse. Men, we need another guy in our life. Women, we need another woman in our life. In other words, we need that extra voice, that extra David, Jonathan, Paul, Timothy, Jesus, John relationship, because we're not designed even to do it on our own. It is desperately important. Is it possible then in human relationships, watch this. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, speaking of Jonathan and David, the soul of Jonathan was knit. Some versions say became one. That's the thing Jesus was praying about. Was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. There's only, you cannot do, I cannot do that standing here in front of hundreds of people. It's impossible. <laughs> I cannot do that in the group that I love of 10 to 12 other guys. It can only happen when I'm sitting there and say, hey, let's extract from the group these kinds of relationships. Now, let me disturb you a little bit. I have some statistics that I want to show you, and then, and then we'll close. Here's why this is relevant, guys. This is not, again, just about loving one another. It's about living out the intention of the inventor. It's about living out the intention. Some people may say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not that relational or I'm kind of intellectual. That's okay. God still made you to have relationships with somebody. Maybe an intellect loves an intellect. It's okay, right? No, not everybody's going to be super friendly. Some people are super friendly, uh, but it, we're not talking about that. We're talking about getting deeper. Now watch this. I want to show you a couple of graphs here. This is, um, there, there's uh, three lines going um, sideways, horizontally. Uh, these are high school students. The top line is uh, seniors in high school, and then it's eighth and uh, tenth graders below. I'm going to focus on the top one. There's a vertical line. It's very thin. It's hard to see, but the vertical line is 2007 when the iPhone was first released. And this caption is not hanging out with other friends. I want you to see what happened when technology came along. I have two sons. They're 18 and 19. I used to get in trouble because I hung out too late at night playing capture the flag. And my mom would throw that screen door open, yell my full name. And I knew I was in trouble because we would play way past our curfew of coming in before dark. And we we're out there. Nowadays, I'm like, hey, go hang out with some of your friends because that technology just draws us in. And it promises to be a helpmate. Just like all those animals that Adam was faced with. Hey, try this. This will help. And like, but then here's the, here's the big one. Watch this. Less likely to get enough sleep. Look at that. And sleep causes one. Loneliness goes way, way up. Here's some other statistics. 
Watch this. In the past five years, I read an article in Psychology Today. In the past five years, 50% of Americans have formed a no best friend. Think about that. Here's another one. 93% of American men have no best friend. Now let's talk about how relevant the first page of the Bible is. There are 93%, according to one study, 93% of American men don't have this. Don't even know. Oh, they go to the stadiums. They go to the pubs. They go to the bars. They go to work. They have jokes. They have man jokes. We talk about occupation. We talk about sports. And we talk about politics. And we're very comfortable on that Photoshop level. But deep down, we're like, man, I wish someone knew that my marriage was fractured. I wish someone knew that I could share with I think I'm addicted to something. I wish someone would know, man, I'm lonely, to be honest with you. I don't really have any soul talk. 93% of American men. Here's another one. In 2016, the United States Surgeon General declared that the greatest risk to human health was loneliness, not heart disease or cancer. Loneliness. From that point on, Governments around the world, in India, Japan, UK, have now a government, official government position called Minister of Loneliness. Mm. Here's another one. 7,057 service members have died during military operations since September 11, 2001. 7,000. Check this next number. Over 30,000 have died from suicide. Let's talk about how relevant the first page of the Bible is now. The men and women who protect this country, they come back and they, they've moved from the Middle East or wherever the, the atrocities they're facing. And in 18 hours, they get on a plane, they're sitting in a, a cul-de-sac, and they're supposed to go to Michael's craft store, and life just is all right all of a sudden. Every statistic I showed you so far, is all before this thing we call COVID-19. And things got a lot worse. COVID-19 has shot things through the roof. One final thing. Americans are the unhappiest they've been in 50 years. Depression is three times higher since the pandemic began. Since the pandemic 19, there's a 19% increase in antidepressant medication since 2020, uh, COVID. Since COVID, anti-anxiety medication has increased 34%. And there may be some of you sitting right here and like, I relate to that. I get that. I need a friend. We're not saying, hey, you need a professional counselor. You need a friend. Watch this. We close with it. John 7. 1920, we go back to that and we, we have the fullness of Jesus' prayer. My prayer is for, not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in their message, that all of them may be intimate, Father. One, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be intimate in us. Why? So that the world will know this is the real deal and believe. We are the relational image bearers to this world. And if we can't do it, no one else will. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you today for reminding us of who we are in you.
And God, we've been conditioned and trained so often in our church culture that friendly is as our main priority to be a friendly church. But God, you have given us a different sense in your word that it is much deeper than that, more profound than that, more needed than that. Just take a moment, think about the people around us, that our culture has also conditioned us to Photoshop our pain, our brokenness, our addictions. So when we come to work or we come to the gym or we step out to our mailboxes, we wave and we say we're fine. We pray, God, as the people of God, that we will push in, press beyond just what's ordinary. And that we will be the people that you've designed us to be. Because of Adam's breaking in the garden, sometimes, God, we just want to hide. And so, Father, we pray that you would take these words and make them alive in us today. Who will we bear your image to? In the next 24 hours, God. Maybe we've been in the church culture for so long that we think, hey, this is it. We come, we worship, we listen, we go home. You've taught us today by hearing two men, it's, there's something different. There's something deeper. So here we are, God. We give ourselves back to you again to fulfill what you have given us to do, to be the relational, the intimately relational image bearers to the world. If we're afraid of that, we give it to you. If we become apathetic to that, we give it to you. If we're too busy, we give it to you. We ask that you do what we cannot do. We ask that you break what we're not willing to do. Finally, we pray, God, for those sitting in this room or listening. Maybe they're at home. Maybe they're in their car. Maybe they're in their, their, their workspace. Maybe they're listening on, on AirPods in, their, in the gym. Where on the surface, everything looks fine. But inside, they may be part of the statistic of those who are alone. It is not good for man or woman to be alone. That's what we read in your word, God. And if that's you, perhaps as we're paused here in prayer, know first of all that God loves you so deeply that he came to this earth to bridge a gap between us and him by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And he did that because he recognized that through human effort and all the religious activity that we can muster up will never bring us to him. He brought his love to us. So in the quietness of this moment, perhaps God has stirred in you what we sang about, how much you need him. You've been created not just to be relational with others, but to be relational with God. And he has made a way through Christ. What does that mean? What that means is that you come to him just as you are, broken, imperfect, 
and acknowledge that, God, I am imperfect. I am a sinner. And then you come and, and whatever you're trusting in, because all of us are trusting in something, whatever you're trusting in, religion or good behavior or modifying your behavior or your or comparison that you're you know, better than really bad people, whatever those things are, we all do it. You say, I'm going to trust in Christ alone so that I can be right with God and have all my sin forgiven. Because the Bible says, he that knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness. We might become right with God. Do you want to be right with God? When you lay your head down on your pillow tonight, do you want it all to be okay with God? And know in the deepest part of who you are, I have a relationship with God. Come to him, oh God, I turn 180 degrees from the life I'm leading, I, I, I point it right at you right now. I desperately need you and I want you. Is that your prayer? I am broken. I acknowledge that, God. I'm imperfect. I'm a sinner. And I'm trusting in Christ alone. Speak to him in your own raw heart language. Is that your prayer? Thank you, Father, for this promise. Thank you, God, for the reality of Jesus who gives us that new life. Come in me. Maybe this is your prayer. Come in me and ignite new life. Is that your prayer? We thank you, God, for this day where we've been able to gather to worship, to hear from your word. Now we ask that you implant it, embed it, bake it in to our inner being, God, so that we go out and live as intimately relational image bearers of the God who made us. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.